Good morning, my friends. Glad you guys are here with us. We're continuing our series on who we are as a church at Mosaic. We've been doing that the last few weeks. And just to kind of get you up to speed on where we've been, uh, obviously last week, if you were around, we were talking about this very foundational component to who we are, this idea that we are community, right? And we tried to put a finer point on what we mean by the, the notion of community with this word maybe that's a little bit less familiar, the idea of common life. Life in common, as we see it in Acts 2 and Acts 4, in the life of the church, there's this unique thing that's happening there, right? We as the church are a unique kind of community. We mean something specific when we use that word. We're a family. We're a a household, we said even. This sort of imagery is used over and over again in the New Testament. And it's kind of fitting that we find ourselves today in a parable about a house, Jesus is talking about a house, and he's trying to to help us understand the reality of what it is to be a disciple, to be a part of his people, a part of this community that he's creating. And let's just just say from a start, right, this parable's weird. It feels weird because it is weird, and and maybe you've heard it before, and you're like, "I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to think about this. Not only that... On the heels of the parable is this interesting and awkward encounter between Jesus and his family, it seems like, right? Because we're talking about demons who are crashing your very clean, well-kept house, ruining it all, right? They're bringing all of, uh, of their, their demon friends. It's like a, a demon house party. And it's just like, Jesus, where does this come from? Like, like, what am I supposed to do with this, right? And then Jesus moves into this moment where he almost like rejects or or insults his family at some level, it feels like. It feels strange to it. But that's not really what's happening. That's just at the surface, right? We're being told all of this with a very specific purpose. And there's something here for us as we're talking about this idea of what it means to be community, as we're talking about this idea of what it means to share common life together. There's something here showing us like what it means to be a part of community, like what's supposed to be happening in the church, what's supposed to be happening if we share this common life together. So really, uh, there's something good. Um, We just have to be willing to kind of get weird with Jesus for a minute. Uh, So the the question we, we asked last week was, how are we to differentiate what we mean when we say a word like community as compared to what other people mean when they say the word community? There are a lot of people, you know, who might even use the language of common life. They might resonate with that. How would we differentiate what we're talking about from them, from other groups who might use that language? So today we're really kind of continuing with the same question from last week, but we're just kind of moving further into this. If we have everything in common by the Spirit, as they say, right? Not just material possessions or money, which is what people's minds always go to there. Yes, it says that about the early church. As need arose, they shared everything in common in this beautiful kind of way. But not just that, right? They had this life in common. They ate and prayed and worshiped together. They lived this life in common. And if that's true, if the Spirit has created this common life among us, then that means we share also this common belief, this common notion of what that's supposed to mean, why we're all here. We all share the same understanding of all of that. Like we're not just here so that we can have friends we trust, 
people who love us and hold us accountable. It's not just a, a venue for worship, although hopefully it's all of those things, right? That's a part of what church is. But there's, there's something beyond that, right? There's something more that's supposed to be happening. We used to say, like, in the earliest days of Mosaic, we used the language of, of this. Like we, we said something like, Mosaic will be a place of belonging and becoming, place of belonging, which is kind of what we were talking about last week, right? Where the lonely are put in families, as the psalmist says, right? Where those who have no family find they are loved and cared for, right? There's this beautiful picture of family, of relationship, right? It's a place of belonging and becoming. Now, the funny thing is, like a few years later, we realized that CrossFit had co-opted that language, right? Because again, everybody is trying to use the language of community, right? We're not the only people who use that language, right? They use the language in their own kind of way. And honestly, it sells pretty well, right? This is for people who want to get jacked, but they don't want to feel so shallow about it, right? We're a community. We're together. Like we have relationships with one another. Something good is happening here, right? As compared to the experience with like your headphones staring in the mirror at the gym, right? We're a community, right? So it's like that sort of thing. It works well. How are we different from that, right? If you join that gym, what, what are you becoming, right? And they say, a community. If you join this community, if you're a part of this body of believers, if you share this common life with us, what will you become? Becoming is important, though. We've kind of like jettisoned that language these days because we do want to differentiate ourselves from the way other people are using this language, but becoming is important. Jonathan and I had a conversation about this months ago, sitting in the office. This is where we both land. Just like, man, what we have here is beautiful. It's good. The relationships that exist here are so good. But if we're not becoming, what are we becoming, right? If that's not happening, what exactly are we doing, right? Relationships are good. This is good. But what purpose do those relationships serve? What are we becoming? What are you becoming as a part of sharing this common life with us? It's like Jesus does this thing, you've probably noticed, he calls people to follow him. He calls people to be his disciples, right? And then he calls those disciples to make more disciples. It's an important component to what he's doing. He calls people to follow him, to become a disciple. But the problem is, for us as modern Westerners, we don't really have much of a, a parallel for being a disciple in our culture. Societally, you don't see this sort of thing playing out very often, right? Like we've got internships, we've got externships, we've got fellowships, all these ways you can be trained to become something, right? Dallas Willard uses the image of apprenticeship. It's like one of the closest parallels to the idea of being a disciple, becoming an apprentice of Jesus. We are Jesus apprentices, and that's a pretty apt kind of comparison. It's about as close as you can really get. We're apprentices. And I think we can relate to that because there are a lot of us who've had that experience, right? You work a certain number of hours, a certain number of years under someone's supervision. And at the end of that time frame, you are certified, right? You become officially a professional, right? You can be trusted in this particular field. You're released to do this on your own, right? That's the way this all works. 
You officially become something, fill in the blank, whatever it is. You're given a role, you're given a title. As a result of this time, you have spent apprenticing under someone else's supervision. But that, even that is, is not quite what it means to be a disciple as Jesus is teaching it. It's close. It's the closest thing we've got, really. But Jesus isn't calling you to earn a title. He's not inviting you to take on a new role. Jesus is doing something different. When he calls you to be a disciple, he's not calling you to become something, whatever that may be. To be a disciple is to become someone. Not to become something, not to get a title, not to be certified as credible and legitimate. Not to become something, but to become someone, to become like Jesus. This is the nature of being a disciple. When I decide I want to follow Jesus as my rabbi, as my teacher, I'm not saying I want to become a teacher or a rabbi like him. I want to become like him, Jesus. This is the notion of of being a disciple. Community, this common life we share, the thing we're doing in church, is not about becoming a better version of yourself, not about improving upon yourself. It's not about even becoming a more mature version of yourself. It's about becoming more Jesus. This is the desire. This is what it means to be a disciple, to be his apprentice. Not a better you, more Jesus living through you. This is the picture of being a disciple, right? And that all sounds good. It sounds great because Jesus is is loving and he's patient. He's merciful and kind and he's profound. He's a healer, right? Like we love all of these things about Jesus. But we also know that to become his disciple means that I'm willingly choosing someone to be an authority over me. I'm willingly submitting myself to someone else's authority over me, to his authority over me. And subsequently, other people I recognize will have other authority in my life. We think about the reality of Jesus saying, well, if anybody would become my disciple, if anybody would follow me, they have to take up their cross and follow me, right? And that is not a thing we so easily do. We don't so easily relinquish that kind of control of our lives. Culturally, uh, I think it's easy for us to kind of just embrace this idea that we are our own authority. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? We tend to live as our own authority. I am my own authority figure, and I am deciding what I believe is true and real and good. I am my own authority, but to be a disciple is to to accept someone else's authority. And a lot of times, we live, uh, as the rest of our society does, under our own authority, and we live our lives after we come to Jesus as we always imagined our lives would be. We live our lives as we always envisioned it should be, right? What does the average American life look like? I'm still living it, right? And I just kind of like sprinkled Jesus in with it, right? I just now have this newfound resource. Jesus is like a resource I can consult. The scriptures are like a a resource, good advice, good recommendations for those moments in my life when I can't figure it out on my own, when I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to do. When everything falls apart, right? I'll have a safety net, and it will be a good thing because when everybody else falls apart, they'll have nothing. But I have Jesus to fall back on. This is the way we tend to build our lives. And in Matthew 12, Jesus is confronting these people who are with him. Who are you actually becoming? 
Are you, are you actually a disciple? Are you desiring to be my disciple? Do you desire to actually follow me in this way, to become like me? Are you really an apprentice? Is that what you're after, becoming like me? And so Jesus tells them this parable, and it's weird again. A house has been delivered from demonic oppression, right? He says when somebody is delivered from demonic oppression, it's like a house that has been delivered from demonic oppression. And this would be the sort of thing you would think we're celebrating, right? This is good news. The Spirit has left. But Jesus kind of takes it in a different direction. It's more complicated than that, right? Jesus says that impure spirit that left the house never really found anywhere else to rest, never really found a home elsewhere, and so he decides to come back home. He likes the house where he was at. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Maybe you thought you didn't know this parable very well. It's like the parable of the prodigal demon. It's weirder. Um, and he says that the demon shows up at the house and realizes the house is in better shape than when he left it. It's been cleaned up. It's nice and neat. Everything looks good. I mean, it's, it's turnkey ready, right? Like you can move right in. It's going to be a great spot. And so he does what any reasonable, industrious demon would do. He goes and he tells seven other demons, worse than himself, that they should come and take up residence in this nice house, right? It, again, it's, it's a demon house party, and they ruin everything. The house is destroyed. Note, demonic oppression is a very real thing. We don't often take it seriously because we're not confronting it on a regular basis or we think we're not confronting it on a regular basis, right? It is a very real thing. The note here is Jesus is not trying to teach you about demonic oppression. In other places, yes. Here, no. Jesus is not trying to teach you about how demons work. This is, this is not meant to be an excursus on what your encounter with the enemy will be like. No, that, that's not what he's saying. Jesus is trying to teach you about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be an apprentice. He wants these people to honestly consider whether or not that's who they are. Are you really disciples? Because Jesus knows that in his day, the Jewish faith is full of people who follow the law, who are faithful worshipers of Yahweh, who've given their lives seemingly to this, and yet they're not really ready to go as far as he's taking them. We know this uh, about the church. The church is full of people who have come to faith like they're truly believing people. They've experienced redemption and, and salvation, right? They've been forgiven their sins. They've been freed from who they once were, from all of these things, addictions and sin and whatever else. And Jesus says it's like a house that has been emptied. The house is empty and it's, it's cleaner. Everything is better. All the old stuff is gone. This is good news. They've left those things behind them and they don't really have much of a desire to go back to them because they realize it would just be foolishness. They're not looking for, for meaning or purpose or pleasure in places that just simply cannot offer it. They've left all of that behind, right? They're done being in despair and, and, and hopelessness, right? But there's all this other stuff that's really pretty harmless. It's just normal, like, human stuff. 
things that defined their lives before. That, again, why would you need to, to change that? Like these just ordinary rhythms in our lives, how we see relationships and how we pursue them, right? How we, we see work, how we balance it with our lives, how we view money and what we do with our money, how we deal with conflict. All of these things, right? All these rhythms about us, all these things we do, all these patterns in our lives, and those things still kind of stay the same, largely. There's all this stuff about how we live our lives, how we structure our lives. It's just all still there, and it really feels harmless. Uh, James K. Smith wrote a book years ago called You Are What You Love, and in it, he points out the idea that, that we have liturgies to our lives, these patterns, right, these rhythms, right? Just like church has liturgy. You come here uh, on a Sunday, you come and worship with us, really any time you're going to see at the center of what we're doing is the table, right? We're going to come to the table, to the body and blood of Jesus. We're going to acknowledge the reality of Jesus' cross and how central it is to our faith and what it is to follow him. We're going to worship. We're going to pray, right? These are our liturgies. We're going to confess our faith, what we believe. We're going to confess our sin and acknowledge and kind of deal with our brokenness. These are all liturgies. Things that we're going to do. And he's saying our lives have liturgy. Our lives have rhythm and, and patterns to them. Things that we live according to. And a lot of that remains from who we once were. Again, none of this is particularly harmful. It's just there. The house, Jesus says, has been freed from something, but it has not been filled with anything new. Here's a life that is truly redeemed, right? Jesus is not questioning whether or not these people are, are real believers or, or whether or not really, they really believe him or really value his voice. In no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's not questioning that. They've been freed from something, but they haven't been filled necessarily with something. Jesus is saying to this group of people who have seen redemption playing out in the way that he is he's doing things. They've seen miracles and healings and signs and wonders, the profound teachings coming from him. All of this, right? And yet Jesus is saying, but what are you filling the new life you've received with, right? You, you're acknowledging new life, but what are you filling this new life you've been given with? Are you changing the way you view these other things, right? All these patterns in your life. Because Jesus' answer is, you have to follow me. Jesus' desire for you is not just to empty you of something, to free you from something, but to fill you with something, right? Not just to empty you, but to fill you. This is his desire, that you would be filled, right? With the Holy Spirit, that you would be filled with his new way, right? This way of Jesus, the idea is not like so many of us have believed for a long time that like one day at some point in your life, you'll become like Jesus, right? Most of the time we think of that as like, you know, after death, right? Because we know ourselves, we know how broken we are, we know how long we've been doing this and it doesn't seem to really get much better. I'm still pretty broken, it feels like. I'm still failing pretty regularly and there's this sense of like, but one day. And Jesus is saying, no, not one day. Like right now, you can be my disciple. Right now, you can follow me. Right now, you can embrace this. 
I think as believers, we can very often articulate what we believe. We have these things like internalized, memorized, right? And we should. There are these things that are just in us at this point. At the level of memory, we can totally explain what we believe to anybody who would want to hear, right? That's who we are. We know what we're supposed to say at this point. By now, we've figured all of that out, and we really do believe it. But Jesus is trying to, like, press in a little bit further. Like, to be a disciple is not just to memorize the teachings of your teacher. To be a disciple is is something else. Following Jesus is more than just memorizing or internalizing something. It isn't even just about learning something. I think a lot of times, like, That's the assumption of what's happening here right now, right? Kyle is going to teach something, and maybe I'll learn something new. Hopefully, that could be good, right? I hope that sitting here listening to me, I have something decent enough to offer you, that you could learn something new and benefit from it. But that's not what's supposed to be happening. You're not just consuming information. I'm not just disseminating information to you. The idea is not just that you would learn something I know this from human nature. I can tell you something all day. Any teacher in the room says, I know I can teach you this. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to remember it or it's going to change the way you respond to whatever problem appears on the test, right? I can tell you this stuff over and over again, right? People around you can tell you this stuff over and over again and you can hear it and agree to it. But we're not just called to learn this. We're called to become this. What are you becoming, right? You're not just called to learn these teachings of Jesus, but to embody them. To let these things get inside you at a different level. Not just at the theoretical level, not just at the mental level, not just at a hypothetical level. Like, what if, if this should ever happen? No, no, no. Like, at the physical level, you have to let this way of Jesus get in you. You need New patterns. You have to embody the way of Jesus. And this is the only way. You need a new worldview. You need a a new way of seeing your job and your family and the relationships that exist for you and your money and the way you do everything. It has to to change, right? You can't just be emptied of something. Jesus is not just interested uh, interested in, in, in kind of ridding your life of sin, making you less bad. No. He's interested in filling you with something good. Paul says it well in Galatians 5, right? Be filled with the Spirit. In Greek, the connotation is be filled always, constantly with the Spirit. Like it's not an event in your past. You were filled with the Spirit when you came to Jesus. Yes, and yet Paul keeps saying, be filled with the Spirit. In ever-increasing measure, day after day, let yourself be filled. Take on this new way every day of your life, right? But we often find ourselves as believing people approaching life the same way we always have. The same way that is dictated to us by our society that we've learned for a long time and that we can't really help. It's just stuff that's been around as long as we've been around. We're still living life dictated to us by our circumstances, by what's happening, whatever it might be. It happens so often. We live life like anybody else in our society is living life, and we just kind of mix Jesus in where we see it appropriate. Or we we live life according to what our circumstances are. I think about this all the time. You bring up being a disciple, following Jesus, and what always comes into our minds is just like 
But this, I'm a, I'm a student. Like, I got a job because I got to be able to pay for all of this, right? And I got class and I got all the assignments that come with class. And I got just these few relationships that are important to me. I have to manage these things. My life is already full. I don't know where to, to fill it with anything else, right? If Jesus wants to fill my life with something, this new way of his, if I'm supposed to embody it, I, I don't even know where to fit it in. I think about new moms, right? Shout out to, to Katie and Chelsea. They're still at home with, with newborns right now. It's a hard phase to walk through. Like, it's beautiful, but man, it's like a transition. It's a difficult thing to walk through. Like, how am I supposed to balance this? How, how is my life going to change now? Katie's got two now and not just one. Chelsea's got her first, right? This is a big transition. What am I supposed to do with that? How do I fill my life when it already feels so full, right? Where does Jesus fit into all of these things? And what Jesus is saying is regardless, right now, new believer, long-time believer, busy believer, like give yourself to following Jesus completely, embodying his way. And after having said this, right, there's this awkward interruption. Jesus' family shows up at the house where he's teaching. And they're standing outside. Everybody else is in the house with Jesus. Matthew is very careful to tell us they never come inside. They're outside the house. And they just stand outside and wait for someone to deliver the news that they've arrived. Apparently the house is, is pretty full of people, right? Someone comes to Jesus and says, your mother and your brothers are outside. They've come to see you. And Jesus says something in that moment that's really beautiful and really disturbing, right? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he points to his disciples, right? Maybe not just the 12, right? Other people who've decided to follow Jesus who are with him in the house. We don't know for sure who this is, but he points to a specific group of people in the room. And he says, these are my mother and my brothers here is my family, right? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother or my brother or my sister, right? And that is such a beautiful picture, right, of what we're talking about last week. Like, this is community. This is common life. This is the reality of church, a group of people who have decided to do this with me, to seek the will of the Father, to seek the kingdom, to become like Jesus, right? Jesus is, is alluding to us, right, and what's happening here. Hopefully. It's beautiful because he's talking about the nature of what it is to be his follower. The nature of church and community. This is what we mean, right? Jesus is kind of giving a picture of what we mean. When we say community, we don't just mean people we like. People we got stuff in common with, we can identify with, we relate to. People we've known a long time. We mean people who are giving themselves in this way to Jesus. Who are seeking the will of the Father. Who are giving themselves completely as disciples. This is what it means. That's beautiful because Jesus is saying what it means to be my family is not just some exclusive group of people I've known for long enough. No, 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 no. Any of you can become my disciple. Any of you can follow me. This is what Jesus is saying, right? Because this is a group of people that 
Doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of high expectations for, right? Not a lot of qualifications among his disciples. Jesus seems to just be accepting anybody, right? Not exactly important or dignified people. And Jesus is saying, those people are my family. He's not saying, those people out there, they're not my family. No, he's saying something beautiful. This is about the people in the room. But we are left to ask the question, like, what are we supposed to do with, with Mary, with Jesus' brothers, right? Are they, are they just, like, left outside? Has Jesus' relationship with his immediate family, like, changed because of all these things? What am I supposed to do with all of this? And again, Jesus is not teaching you about how you're supposed to relate to your family here. He's not giving you permission not to pick up the phone the next time your dad calls. He's not giving you permission not to show up at Thanksgiving this year because you're uncomfortable with the conflict that might arise from it. No, this is not about that, right? Jesus is trying to teach you about what it is to be a disciple. This is what it means to be a disciple. Because the reality is Jesus knows, right? There are so many who are going to come to faith who are going to be grateful for salvation, for the incredible thing that God is doing in their lives, but they're, they're not really quite so sure about how they're being asked to live. Like the new life thing is good, but the way I'm being asked to live this life, I'm not so comfortable with. And that's a thing like I think we, we wrestle with at some level. It's easy to kind of stay outside the house. Like I know Jesus and Jesus is Messiah and Jesus is good, but I don't know how I feel about the rest of this, right? And I love the way Mark tells the story. If you read Mark's gospel, this version of the story, I think it's Mark 3. Don't quote me on that. I think it's Mark 3. You can look it up. Mark 3, they tell us instead, or excuse me, Mark tells us instead, that Jesus' family came to that house for one reason, and that was to take Jesus back home. Why? Because they thought he had lost his mind. Like they're uncomfortable with some of the stuff they're hearing coming out of Jesus' mouth, right? And this is his family. Who knows Jesus better than his family, right? They've known him since he was in diapers, right? He may be the Messiah, but they know who he is, right? They've lived with him. They know what he's like. They've seen him come from nothing, right? And he may be amazing, but he's still just little Jesus in their eyes in so many ways, right? Certainly to Mary. Who knows him better than this, right? And even those people are kind of like, I, I'm not sure about this wow but we felt that at some point surely you felt that if you haven't it's because you're not paying attention like sometimes the stuff jesus says is just kind of like it's a little disconcerting you're like wait i don't think i was ready for that i don't know that i'm ready to give myself to that kind of life there are a whole lot of people who still feel kind of like they're on the outside of the house right completely believing they know jesus right just like his family knew him but they just feel kind of like they're on the outside of the house. I don't know if I'm ready to come into the house because what awaits in there is, is a little uncomfortable sometimes. The things he says, even for his own mother. And Jesus says to these people who are in the house with him, these are my disciples. These, these are my family. These are my people. And I think the question is for all of us, always in church is like maybe like what you're hearing so often sounds a little crazy like maybe you feel that like maybe sometimes it feels like a little disconnected from your life and you're not really all that comfortable with it and the question jesus is saying is like i get it you've got questions you've got concerns you don't even know where to begin 
but are you going to come into the house? Like you, you can spend all of your life assuming that what you're doing is following Jesus and you're really just outside the house. Your family, you know Jesus. But you're not really ready to come into the house and Jesus is saying, come into the house. Don't sit outside the house. Don't spend your life admiring Jesus. Come into the house, right? Be a disciple. This is what we think is supposed to be happening. And there, there are two things I was thinking about this week. Two things we have to come to grips with as we think about and kind of wrestle with these questions of, of what it is to really be a disciple. First is this. Whether you are being discipled by Jesus, whether you have chosen to follow Jesus in this kind of way, to become a disciple, to become an apprentice of Jesus, right? Whether you have made that decision or not, practically, whether you're doing that or not, does not change the fact that you are being discipled by someone or something. Whether you choose to be discipled by Jesus, you are being discipled by someone or something. Sometimes you willingly choose it and you know exactly what's happening, right? There are some people you want to be formed by, who you admire, you value, and you want their voice in your life, and you have willingly given yourself to them, right? And then there are these other things you don't even realize you've given yourself to. It's kind of more subtle. It's under the surface, and you don't even get it. You don't even see how you're being formed by these people, by these things. And there are plenty of people I think we're all aware of who have been very formed by the American dream. And they think that they are entitled to it. It is theirs, they should have it. They believe that's what life is supposed to look like. And they're just waiting on that time when that will happen for them. And they're following Jesus, but in as much as Jesus can fit into their American dream, right? We know this, right? And they make a lot of decisions based more so upon that because they've been formed by that. They are disciples of our culture, of that dream, right? There are so many people who have been formed by celebrity culture, They've been formed by these people, right? And really, that's what they're chasing after. Like, okay, maybe I'm never going to be that wealthy. I'm never going to have that kind of fame, but I can at least kind of live somewhat like that, right? That's what social media feels like a lot of times. It's like faux celebrity. I, I don't know what you call it. Quasi-celebrity culture, right? We give ourselves to these people. We literally follow them, and, and we let them form us. We're constantly consuming what they're offering us, and we are being formed by it. We know it. You can be formed by these things. You can be formed by Twitter and the zeitgeist of our day, what everybody's talking about all the time and what everybody thinks about their opinion in the present moment. You can be formed by these things, discipled by these things, discipled by these people. We're all being formed. You don't get to choose that. You are being formed. But what are you being formed by? Who are you being discipled by? And the biggest question is, what will you become at the end of it? Like, that's the hard one. Like, I've given myself to a lot of things. I'm being formed by a lot of things and a lot of people, but what will I be at the end of it? The other thing you have to come to grips with is, just like we're all being discipled, being formed by someone or something, we are all discipling someone. 
Someone is our disciple, right? I think the, the, the area in which this is most familiar is like with children, whether you have your own children or don't. If you've been around children, this is what's so daunting about being around children, is they will emulate what they see from you, right? And most of the time, it's not the things you want them to emulate about your life. They ignore all of that. It's your bad habits. That's what they're going to, to continue, right? That's what they're going to, to imitate. That's the reality of it. Like, that makes us feel overwhelmed sometimes about being around kids, but it's not just that, right? There are people in our lives who know we follow Jesus, and as a result, what they see in our lives, the way we express ourselves and live our lives and pursue relationships and treat them when they do something terrible to us, whatever, right? The way we use our money, the way we're living our life, the patterns of our lives, whatever they're seeing, right? They assume that is Jesus. That is the way of Jesus, right? And the scarier thing is, like, they might actually imitate it. They, they look and they, they believe, that, as a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. And the question we have to ask then is, like, if they should choose to imitate me, what will they become? Like, what are they actually going to become at the end of it? More like Jesus or more like something else that you've been formed by instead, Right? We have to come to grips with these things. We're all being discipled by someone or something. Is it Jesus? What will you become at the end of it? We're all discipling someone at some level. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. We don't even realize it's happening. We all have to ask ourselves that question. And that, I know, can feel kind of daunting. It feels like, it feels heavy sometimes to think about those things. Like what we're talking about. This is what we mean, though, when we say community. This is what we mean when we say church. We want to be disciples. Not on our own. That's what our culture has fed us for a long time. That's what the church has very often fed us. You're called to follow Jesus right by yourself. No, we believe together in this common life, this thing that we're doing together is together becoming disciples, together becoming apprentices. That's what you're invited into. And even as, as, as like daunting as it feels, I, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was kind of considering these things this week, and I found myself really encouraged. I was talking to a friend, uh, Jesse. Jesse is a master electrician. Uh, and I asked Jesse, how many hours did you have to work under supervision? Like, what was your apprenticeship like? You apprenticed for how many years? How many hours did it require? And he says, 16,000. According to the state you live in, it might be 12, okay? 12 to 16,000 hours of your life, somewhere between four and eight years for most people, to become a master electrician. And at the end of that, we expect that if he comes to your house and you've got an issue, he'll be able to tell you about what the electrical issue is, right? We expect that. Jesse acknowledged, though, the same thing we feel with. He's like, yeah, even then, after all of that, there's still so many times I feel like an idiot when it comes to electrical. There's still some times where I'm just stumped, right? It's just the reality of apprenticeship, right? I was talking to, to Adam Taylor. A lot of you guys know Adam. Adam moved to Birmingham to be a resident at UAB. He just finished medical school at Ohio State. That was long enough, right? And I'm like, but how long did residency take? Three years, he says. How many hours? He's like, well, you know how residency goes. It fluctuates. Some weeks it's like 80 hours and some weeks it's like 50. But somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10,000 hours. But we expect at the end of that that if you should call Adam in the middle of the night and you're sick, like 
the dude would be able to help you or at least get you to somebody who could, right? He'd know if there was really an issue, right? We expect that. We, we know this about doctors and electricians and counselors and therapists and engineers. We were talking uh, about Daniel this morning and how he's officially a professional engineer now after hours working under supervision, right? And this is the promise of Jesus. Like if you would actually give your life to him, if you would actually follow him, if you'd give your years, if you'd give your hours, what are you giving your hours to? Your life is so full of things. And Jesus is pointing out how empty it really is. He doesn't want you to live this empty life. He wants to fill your life with something better. New patterns, new liturgies, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of living. Do you even want it though, right? Do you want to come into the house? This is what we believe is happening in community. We're deciding to come into the house together with Jesus to accept the heavy weight of what it is to be his family, the weight of the cross sometimes, but to acknowledge this is what it is to be filled rather than empty. This is what we want to be formed into. This is our desire. And so we invite you in these moments. When you come to the table, you're coming to the cross, right? You're coming to, to sacrifice. You're coming to the body and blood of Jesus. There's something really heavy about it, and there's something unspeakably beautiful about it. And as we come, like, I just invite you, like, consider it. This is, this is not meant to like, push you away and to say, no, you're not legit. No, that's not what Jesus is doing, even to his own family, even to the people in the house. It's an invitation, any of us, that would choose it, that would willingly give ourselves to his authority. He will make us like him. He gives us the Spirit for a reason, that we might become like him. This is his desire for us. Right? And this is what we believe is happening in the church. Not just living life together, not just loving on each other, enjoying one another. That's all good. That's what we want to be happening, but with this purpose. Who are we becoming? Who are we being formed into? What will you be at the end of it all? God willing, man, we're going to be more like Jesus. So as the band comes, as they, they play, we invite you to the front. We invite you to come. Um, at your own will, you know, as you get ready, tear off a piece of bread, uh, grab a cup, uh, and then move back toward your seats, uh, and we'll continue. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you for these weird moments where Jesus says something just completely out of left field. That sometimes we feel like just kind of turns us away or confuses us, Lord, but in reality, it's Jesus trying to point out something that's, that's weird about us, something that's wrong with us, assumptions that we have about our lives and the way they're supposed to look. God, we pray that, that this morning we would not just be a people who are emptied of who we once were, um, of sin and addiction and brokenness, God, but a people who are filled with your Spirit. God, would you change us day after day, Lord? Would you grant us new patterns, new ways of, of seeing the world, new ways of approaching all of these things that for so long we've approached just like everybody else in our culture, Lord? I pray that, yeah, that we would truly become disciples. As we come to your table, Lord, would you continue to fashion us into that? Apprentices, disciples, followers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.